Morning, Calvary. If you have your Bible, let's open together to the book of Exodus, chapter 32, Exodus 32. And there we will begin our uh, study in Exodus on a really sad chapter, one that is created, preserved for us for our learning in 2019, that we'd be people who know how to worship God with a whole heart and know how to come before Him prepared to acknowledge Him as the one who is the Lord God who brought Israel out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Knowing who God is helps us know how to worship and worship in a way that is genuine, that's transparent. Coming to church on Sunday morning is, uh, is not just hearing a talk. It's not about a show. It's not about uh, observing something on this platform. It is, God willing, the opportunity for you to come into this place and be led by the Holy Spirit to connect with God and to be transparent to God and to say, this is how my week's been. This is what's going on in my life. This is what I what I'm wrestling with, this is what I'm believing in, and it's in the worship experience of all of us hearing from God, giving to God praise, and participating in parts of a ceremony that we'll do this morning that are designed by God in giving us the church and giving us communion to be motivations to really understand we're meeting with God and we're hearing His voice and we're connecting with Him and we're learning how to be a people who worship, give to God glory and hear from God His will and we're in step with Him, right? I mean, coming to church is not just um, seeing today's latest edition, it's connecting with God. That's my prayer for you. And the text that we're going to read this morning is about a, a group of people who went wildly wrong in their worship. We're, we're going to worship God today. And God's going to evaluate, I think, all of our worship. We're going to, like, will God be pleased with what happens here today? I'm setting you up that this is serious. And in a little bit, we're going to have the opportunity to take a piece of bread and a cup and say of those things, this is the body and the blood of Christ who was the atoning sacrifice for my sins. He forgave me. He is my greatest treasure, and I proclaim his death for me until he comes. That's what we're going to do. The sermon, I'm praying, will get us to that so we will worship better than Israel worshiped in Exodus 32. You there? Exodus 32. So there we read. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said, Up, make us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses, this man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. 
So, Aaron said, take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off all the gold from their hand and, fa- uh, and their ears and brought it to Aaron. He received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving stone and made a golden calf. There you go. And they said, these are your gods, of it, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow will be a feast to the Lord. So, people rose up early the next day, verse 6, and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings, and the people sat down to drink, and they rose up to play. Wow. You've been with us. You know that uh, what happened about 40 days ago. Chapter 20, verse 1, 2, 3, 10 commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make for yourself any graven image, and you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. How are we doing? Forty days. Forty days. It's tragic. And I want to learn from what happened in 40 days to the people of Israel. And I want it to be a model because I think there's some transferable temptations about losing your faith. Israel lost faith in 40 days. Many of them then lost their life. I don't think everybody in Israel lost their faith, but they exchanged their faith that God had delivered to them and gave it to something else. And this becomes a New Testament lesson written for our example, the New Testament says, this is for you in this day and age that you be careful not to lose your faith. And what is it about what happened in Exodus 32 that prompted Israel to perhaps lose their faith, surrender their gold, give it to Aaron. Aaron makes a golden calf and the golden calf becomes the place of worship where everybody says, okay, this now is the God who brought us out of the land of Egypt. They make an altar. They provide burnt offerings there on the altar. And tomorrow's a big feast. So all the people got up, made these offerings. They sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. You have to understand that that last phrase is, is weighted with all kinds of things, including probably a huge festival of overeating, overdrinking. And when it says they rose up to play, there's good probability that what that actually meant was um, a participation in similar kinds of cultic sexual practices that were a part of their pagan worship. And wherever idolatry is present, immorality follows. We're going to see that. So when it says they, they rose up to play, it's probably that all of Israel's in this really crazy revelry. In fact, that's what we see later on in the chapter when we say Moses came down off the mountain and he saw that um, all of the people, verse 25, had broken loose. Kind of a phrase that they're going crazy in revelry. And Aaron had led them to break loose into the derision of their enemies. And Moses stood at the gate of the camp and said, who's on my side? What ends up happening is Moses has a a crazy exchange with God where God says, hey, your people that you brought up out of the land of Egypt, they've gone bonkers. And Moses says, oh, they're your people. No, they're your people. 
and I am going to get rid of them. Exodus chapter 32, God says to Moses, I'm, I'm done with them. I'm going to make a new nation out of you. Like I did with Abraham, I'm going to do it with you. And Moses fulfills his role as a priest and he treats God based on his character and his promise and everything that he has laid out before and his testimony before all the other nations and says, God, please spare your people. And God relents and he spares his people, but not without judgment, not without a judgment against his people. And um, verse 25, 26, Moses calls the Levites together and they gather and they go through the camp and they take um, their sword and they put to death 3,000 people. And I get the sense that when the Levites went through the camp to put to death those who were still reveling, it was because they were called to repent. Many did, some didn't, and those who didn't were put to death violating the first commandment, the second commandment, and the third commandment. It was a tragic fall and a tragic judgment, but mercy eventually came to the people of Israel. That's a lesson for us. What is the lesson? I want to suggest three things that I see that probably influenced the people of Israel in 40 days to lose their faith. And I'm talking to a congregation today that if we knew the trends in America of people who are leaving the faith, particularly, we're told again and again, that people who turn 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, go to college, go to university, and lose their faith and walk away from everything that they've grown up knowing. What contributes to that? Let's see if we can see something here. I think there are three influences that Israel had to face. And the first was that they had to face some kind of uh, influence of repeated exposures to idolatry. For 400 years, Israel had lived in Egypt. The worst last hundred years, idolatrous worship was rampant in Egypt. And there was an Egyptian god by the name of Apis, and this is one artistic rendering of Apis the bull, a symbol of virility, strength, reproductive power. The Egyptians had this, this is Apis the bull. So when the children of Israel escape Egypt and get in the wilderness, what do they have? They have to lean back on probably, I think, repeated exposures to pagan idolatry, repeated exposures, knowing that they saw it again and again and again, and the seed sown in prior idol attraction for over the years uh, had some kind of root that planted a seed in them that continuous exposure to something creates a root of something in you and me. Um, Any translation to today for us about repeated exposures to messages that sometime when you are in a spot you say, I'm going to go to what I heard again and again and again and again? What are the messages that we hear today? Hey, a high life starts with this beer. The good life is this car. You know, 
The messages that are repeated again and again get to bear fruit until my default position is not what I know to be true, but what I've been saturated with again and again and again. Paul wrote to the Galatians in chapter 1 and said, I'm surprised that you're so quickly removed from the gospel that you had. You just got the gospel of Jesus and you're so quickly removed from it. You've lost your faith. And then in chapter 6, he says to the Galatians, you should not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man, anybody know it? Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. You plant something in your life, it's going to bear fruit. And if you indoctrinate yourself on idol worship in Egypt, it's not surprising that if you get in a place and you wonder where God's gone, I don't know, I'm going back to this. And it begins to produce a fruit because you've had repeated exposures to something and it becomes the comfortable default position. And there are so many idolatrous messages that in the United States of America we are inundated with that it's not surprising that some would lose their faith and say, I'd rather have a good life with lots of money and I don't really care about God. Or I want sexual freedom, that's the free life. If I could just do whatever I want. Or if I could be high every day, that would be the good life. Oh, what are you, you hearing those messages today? And it's everywhere, and you, you get repeated exposures, and it's not surprising that you might say, that's what I want. I think that's where Egypt was. Secondly, tied to it, what, why, what would make that default position of what I learned all earlier in my life is there is this perceived abandonment That verse 1 tells us Moses was gone for 40 days and there's silence. And there's a sense that Israel's in the wilderness. Moses is gone. We don't know what's become of that man. And um, I haven't heard from God in 40 days. And therefore, I've got to generate something else. No revelation. It's really hard to wait 40 days. You know, it sort of depends on your conditions, your circumstances. Is 40 days a long time? What's the answer? It kind of depends. Kind of depends. Like if, you're, if your due date is 10 days away and you went another 40 days, would that be a long time? That'd be a really long time. But, you know, if you're 25 and you're planning for the end of life... It's a long time. It just depends on your perspective, where, where you're at. 40 days is a blink of an eye. 40 days is an eternity. And the condition is like, what's my perspective? What do I see? Moses has been gone 40 days. And there's just this perception that he's left us. God has left us. And there's nothing here. And God is absent. And when God is absent, it feels like I've got to go create something on my own. And I've got to go make meaning out of this. And it's in the waiting period that we are tested to wait upon the Lord. And it's hard to wait on the Lord. Why don't you open your Bible to Psalm 13. Let me show you a passage in Psalm chapter 13 where the psalmist actually cries out about a waiting period, and it's sort of mingled with this waiting and trusting. Psalm chapter 13, 
Uh, David says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Have you ever felt like God forgot about you? Here's David saying, well, how long are you going to forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I make t- take counsel in my own soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? I, I haven't heard from you, God, in, let's say, 40 days. Consider and answer, O Lord God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Verse 5, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. How long, Lord? How long? How long? How long? I feel like you're not here, but I will trust you. And this is a picture of, of life, of faith. You're in the midst of some really difficult circumstances and you cry out to the Lord, how long, how long, how long? But does that perceived abandonment of God lead you to say, I need a golden calf? Or I need to trust myself? Or I just need more money? Or I just need whatever? And I just need more numbing? Whatever it is that creates this sense that I want something other than God in the midst of my waiting, that's part of what's happening in causing Israel to lose their faith. And the third thing that we see is that there is this desire for certainty. There's a desire for certainty in Israel that they wanted guidance and protection, so they say to Aaron, why don't you make us a god, which is sort of preposterous, isn't it? But they wanted something that they could see with immediacy to see with their own eyes, to have a visual representation of what would be divine. And the idol gave to the devotee a sense of certainty, a sense that God was with them, that they were being taken care of. In fact, the God of Israel, um, while he was seemingly absent from them, was imminent. He was present with them, but he allowed them to experience this absence, and they couldn't deal with that. Because they wanted to walk not by faith, but by, yeah, I want to be able to see it. And if I can see it, then I'm safe. If I can see that my job's going to last another two years because we got enough income to have my job reviewed, I don't have to trust God anymore. If my retirement is good enough to get me to 90, I'm good. And I don't have to trust God anymore. If I get a clear bill of health and I don't have cancer, I'm good. I can eat fried food again this year. If I have certainty, I don't need faith. But we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. And without faith, it is impossible to, anybody? To please God, to please God. And we exist for the glory of God. We exist to please him, to worship him, to give him praise. So these temptations are as real today as they were in that place when 
out of a sense of fear and that God is not listening to me and I feel alone and I don't know where God's voice is, suddenly people are turning away from the Lord and losing their faith and going all out to create an idol, which Aaron does. And when Moses comes off the mountain, look at Moses' exchange with him. Verse 21, Moses said to Aaron, what is this people do to you that you have brought such a great what sin on them and Aaron said oh don't be angry with me Lord you know the people that they're set on evil for they said to me make us a God and go before us as this Moses the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt we don't know what's become of him so I said to them let any of you have gold take it off and they gave it to me and I threw it in the fire and out came this calf Okay, sin is irrational. Sin is irrational. And abandoning the God of Israel who brought you out of the land of Egypt, who gave you this commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, is irrational. But sometimes we depend upon what we know better than what we know to be true. And we depend on what we can see rather than what we must believe in faith. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. So I ask you a question in 2019, is idolatrous affection still an issue that we have to be on guard about? Absolutely. And the psalmist knew about it too. In fact, this episode in Exodus chapter 32 is captured by the Psalms. In Psalm 106, this is what is written. They made a calf in Horeb and they worshipped a metal image and they, what were exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. Think about it. We have the glory of God who created everything. Let's have an ox that eats grass. And they forgot God, their Savior, all the great works that he had done. This is a prescription on how to keep your heart, how to keep yourself from losing your faith is to remember what God did. And to not exchange the glory of God for something less. That word exchange is a word that shows up again in Romans chapter 1. That ring a bell with anybody here? Romans chapter 1. That Romans chapter 1 says that God gave a people up when rather than worshiping the God of creation, they worshiped and served the creature and the creation Not the God who created it, but everything he created. And that's the day in which we live, which people would rather worship the creation than the creator. And there's an exchange that happens. And the same kind of consequences for that kind of exchange that happened in Exodus 32 happened in Romans chapter 1, which is all kinds of perverse outcomes. Because idolatry always leads to a further step away from God. Now... What, what do we learn and how do we prepare ourselves for this? The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia says that the root of all sinful action, any sinful action that we commit in our life, is the idolizing of our own selves, the pursuit, regardless of all else, of that which seems to offer self-gratification. Whenever we step outside of the will of God, it is because we are loving ourselves more than we love God. 
And we want the gratification, whether it is accumulation or um, sexual pleasure or numbing of pain. It's gratifying ourselves is making ourselves more important than God. Now, this whole idolizing of anything, including ourselves, is captured in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Please turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'll put it on the screen. But we'll prepare ourselves for communion with these thoughts. What was written in the Old Testament was for our instruction. Chapter 10, verse 1, 1 Corinthians. I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, that's the Red Sea, and all were baptized into Moses. Moses was their leader. They were following him in the cloud and in the sea, and they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, that's water and manna, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. And they were overthrown in the wilderness. And most of that generation did not make it into the promised land because of their idolatrous heart. Next, verse 6 says, now these things took place as examples for us for 2019 too, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be, everybody, idolaters. This is Paul in his day saying to Christians, who know Christ, don't be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written, and here's the line, Exodus 32, 6, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose to play, next sentence, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, that's why I think that rose up to play is more than just they had Olympic games. They're messing around. They're given over. They're broken free. They are not constrained in any way. They eat, they drink, they're merry, they're in orgies, they're, they're unrestrained in their life. And that's why God comes through with swift judgment. And we hear it again. Do not be an idolater. We must not be indulging in that as some of them did. And 23,000 fell because there was not only the 3,000 who were killed by the sword, but a plague. Next verse. Now these things happened to them as an example that we would be the beneficiary of that happening. And they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the age has come. We're getting close to the end. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Like it's a warning. Could this happen to you? Could you lose your faith? You could lose your faith if you say, God's forgotten me. I'm just going to keep reading, immersing myself in these other messages. Um, you know, you, it could happen. Take heed lest you fall. And then the next verse. No temptation is overtaking you except what's common to man. What happened in Israel? It's common to you. You could be tempted to lose your faith. But God is faithful. Let's read this verse together. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You'll endure it. Why? Because God is with you. 
And the next line, therefore, my beloved, keep yourself from idolatry. Do not let your heart love lesser gods. You say, well, I would never worship a golden calf. But would you worship gold? Food? The oxen is virility. Would you love sex? Would you love other things in a way that says, God, I, I don't see you, so I'm going here. This is really a call. I think the disastrous result of Exodus 32 is a call to us to say, how's my heart with God? That's where I want to end today. How's your heart with God? First um, John... 521 has just this little phrase in it. Beloved, keep yourself from idols. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Do not let anything get in front of. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. That's why I want to go to communion. Because I want to admit to you There is no temptation that has taken Israel except is common to me. I have a common temptation to love things more than God. And we must fight it. And here we come to the, to the table and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. For any way that I've wandered away from your, your grace I've, I've given myself over to something that I ought not. I'm in jeopardy of losing my faith. I feel like you're not listening to me. And I want to be able to look at something I can trust when you ask me to walk by faith. So God, give me faith to trust what you say, that your word is true. And that's the way I'd like us to come to communion today. Is there anything you need to turn away from? Is there anything you need to reinforce to God? Is there anything you need to say, wow, that is out of place in my life. God, help me put that love down here and replace it with affection for God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery and freed you through Christ. The best way we can do that is for us to pray silently. So I'm going to ask you to pray silently and for those who are helping to serve, if you would come to the front. And after a silent prayer, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to give the bread out. I want you to eat this bread in a way that gives God glory. You know that God's forgiven you. You know that you're, you belong to him. You don't trust in other things, you trust in Christ alone to save you. You need to turn away from anything you've been involved in. It says, oh, this is not my life in Jesus. I've lost my faith. I've lost my way. Come to Christ. Come back.
God, I thank you that your mercy endures from generation to generation. And you fulfilled your commitment to your people by a new covenant through the blood of Jesus. And we've tasted that. We, we've experienced forgiveness through Jesus. Today we're just reminded, and maybe some of us are deeply convicted that there's things we need to, to stop. And our worship needs to return and be right with God. And I pray you'll just do your Holy Spirit work in us as we eat this bread as we turn away from things that have drawn us away from you, and refresh our faith and rekindle our love, refine our hearts, and let your mercy and grace be on us. We hope in you. We thank you for the body of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.